So I have a very interesting subject for today that I believe the Lord's put on my heart. And uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, we've come through, I, I would say, um, I have been in um, active ministry, I think about 40 years now. And I don't know if I've ever seen a season like the last year, year and a half that we've gone through, how it's impacted personal relationships, how it's affected the church, how it's affected the community. And you know, when you face extreme circumstances, you also have extreme opportunity for growth, for the development of your faith, of your reliance, even on the Lord. And so I'm just believing, man, if we're going to get shaken like this, God, as only you can, use it all for good, you know, ambush every scheme, every plan that the enemy would have to stop someone cold, to slow things down, to wind things down. I think this is the time for us to really stand and in a new level of faith and a new level of trust. And one of the ways that we need to stand is by being the person Jesus died for you to be, to redeem you back to wholeness as a son and a daughter. And so I am so spiritual, I am so focused on the Word of God, I'm going to quote a TV show. So that's how powerful I am. Um, Lori and I have actually been watching Young Sheldon, and the premise of the show is he's a 10-year-old genius, and he's going to high school, and he's taking AP classes. And so one episode, Sheldon is like, well, wait, Einstein is the greatest scientist who ever lived, so I want to be like him. So he tries to learn to play the violin, because apparently Einstein played the violin. It helped him work out math problems. And then he goes, wait, Einstein was Jewish, so I want to be Jewish. So he calls a rabbi, and he goes, so rabbi, you know, I want to convert to Judaism. I'm going to, and he goes, what are you now? He says, well, my family's Baptist, but I'm an atheist. And, and so they're having this whole discussion. And so finally, oh, I thought someone was at the door. Um, finally, the rabbi goes, you know, Sheldon, when you get to heaven, God isn't going to ask you, why weren't you Einstein? He's going to ask you, why weren't you Sheldon? Whoa, I heard that. None of us have to compare ourselves to anyone else. God already has a perfect design, a perfect plan, a perfect way of loving. Jesus is the focus of your life, and you get to be fully you. Fully Gloria, fully Miko, fully Joel, Frank, Everybody in this room, you're called to live in the fullness of the redemption of your life being redeemed back to its purpose and its design. Isn't that absolutely astonishing, honestly? And, and I, want, I want to know my true self, who I am in Jesus, way more than the head trip of my false self, of my past failures and what other people's opinions are of me and man, this year is so extreme in all the opinions flying around all the sources of media all the drama all the hate all the opinions and all of that can take away from who you are just supposed to be and respond out of a place of security and health and wholeness so i uh my hero, Bill Johnson, I think he summed it up better than almost anybody that I've met. 
He talked about this last year or two and all the opinions flying around and all the sources of media. I don't know if the proliferation of media and all the opinions has been a good thing or a bad thing because you can find any kind of opinion you want and keep reaffirming what your opinion already is and you can live in a weird little echo chamber like maybe no other time in history. And so Bill said, yeah, this season you can buy one offense and you can get 12 for free. And isn't it true? So many people have these intense opinions about these conspiracies or whatever they're committed to, and they believe it with their whole heart, and at times it's absolutely unthinkable. How did you get there? You know? And then the enemy has a field day and causes division. He breaks respect. He breaks commitment one to the other. So... Um, I want to read two things. Jesus prepared us for all of this. And, you know, I am more committed than ever to my friends and my family. I want to experience community like a way I never have before. I, I don't want to go to somebody's memorial service anymore and go, I had no clue who they were. I don't want to live that way and anymore. And uh, so Jesus, I believe, even warned us of today, of these extreme opinions and breaks in families, and by the way, I always, this is a new phrase for me, a family doesn't fight with each other, they fight for each other. And so even working through conflict, working through misunderstandings, it's not that you aren't going to have disagreements, you're going to, but how you respond to them is the difference between becoming strong as a family or broken. And so... Um, I want to give you just a couple of verses. I believe Jesus was predicting COVID and everything that we've seen lately in Matthew 24:10, when he's talking about uh, the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. And whether we're in the end times or not, I don't know. I'm not going to give a theology and do eschatology on all of that. But what is the harm in living like you're in the end times? Because when they come, you'll be ready. But uh, Matthew 24.10 says, And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false websites, I mean prophets, will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness and riots, no, the riots aren't in there, but lawlessness will abound, and here's the culmination, the love of many will go will grow cold. Where does it start? You get offended. Somebody says something that hurt you, that you disagree with, you disrespect them, you don't like them, you break fellowship with them, you've gotten offended, you draw away. And by the way, what does it mean that they betray one another? When you begin to step into offense, you immediately begin to self-protect you betray that other person about being there for their best interest to see them find truth and wholeness and you begin to go wow i don't trust you anymore i'm stepping back and that betrayal is now i'm focusing on my needs and not yours that's the initial step of betrayal and when you see people backing away backing away backing away well if they don't like me to heck with them i don't like them either. right how many times have you seen that cycle in this last year and a half over and over and over and then hatred begins to make its way in the heart. And once you have allow offense to move to hatred, the voice 
Well, you can't be good to anyone else until you're good for yourself. They shouldn't treat you like that. You know, they should treat you with honor and respect. And you're like, yeah, that's right. They disrespected me. I mean, all of a sudden, that false perspective, those lies that divide, make sense. And by the way, once you get to that place, to heck with it, insurrection looks good to me. Lawlessness, you're just going to respond to that degradation, to that decline that offense opened into our hearts. I think that's why Jesus was teaching about this. And what is the most astonishing to me of all, with all these horrible things he's talking about, what's the conclusion? Oh, by the way, if you allow all this to happen, your capacity to truly love is going to be jeopardized, compromised, or lost. You won't have love in your heart any longer. All you're going to do is now have self-interest and just taking care of yourself, and you don't have compassion or care for, for others. And it, will, it doesn't happen instantaneously. It happens progressively. So we have to guard ourselves. In fact, Jesus cracks me up. You want, here, you want a word of promise for, for, you can hold on to? Hold on tight to this. Jesus in Luke 17, 1 said, Then he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offense should come. Baby, it's on the way. If you think you're going to live in a world where everybody appreciates you for who you are, you're crazy. There are people who are going to be offended about you getting healed, offended about you stepping out in confidence and boldness and wholeness and compassion and caring for People are going to question your motives. People are going to say, well, aren't you arrogant? I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen it in church, but when people really begin to step out in a whole new level of authority and faith and influence, some people get ticked. They don't know how to celebrate an empowered gifting in a friend because they think it reflects badly on them. I mean, offenses are on their way, and we need to know what to do, how to respond to that setup. Um, John Bevere, who I met years ago, I had him at our old church, he wrote a classic book called The Bait of Satan. And Satan knows how to rob you of your capacity to love, of your capacity to be influential in your community, to be someone who brings hope and healing and restoration to those around you. And he just sets this trap right in front of you that somebody's going to do something that you disagree with or that is even an accusation against you personally, and you put your foot in that trap and you allow offense to come into your head or your heart about them. And it's like now you're in a snare. And good luck trying to get out. So I, uh, I recently had a, an insight. I don't want to sound like I'm going all pop psychology on you. But I do love the human mind. I love the human soul and the spirit and the way we function and understanding God's design. And you know what? I don't care if somebody isn't a believer. If God's given them wisdom and insight into something, I'm more than happy to plunder the Egyptians. You know, some people kind of feel like, hey, it's, it's the only people who declare Jesus and know Jesus are safe. Are you crazy? They're all created in his image. They all have giftings. They all have passions. He will take somebody who doesn't know him personally yet, and he will give them insight into situations because he wants 
the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He wants everybody to be blessed. And so um, I don't think Dr. Murray Bowen was a believer necessarily, but he is considered the father of systems theory, of family systems. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting to look at the dynamics of how families operate. If you can step back a little objectively and go, how come that one became the black sheep? And how come that was the preferred child? And how come, you know, there are dynamics that set up in families that are very interesting. But the most important thing that I think got revealed in this last year and a half is Dr. Bowen's theory about differentiation of self. So, and, and this is not hard to find spiritual parallels with. When somebody is differentiated, when they know who they are as an individual, for most of us in our young adult life, we grow up dependent on our families, on our parents, we need their acceptance, need their approval, we need their protection. It's fine. But eventually, as a young adult, you go, wait a minute, I love my mom and dad, but I can't keep depending on them forever. And I have my own life. I've got gifts. I've got weaknesses. I can be who I am meant to be, and I can let them be who they're meant to be. And you differentiate from your initial you know, extended family, from your parents, from others, and you find out who you are. How many of you would like to be, find out who you really are in Christ? Be fully differentiated and be secure with that. The problem that's interesting is when people are not differentiated, then they uh, often struggle with dependency on, either, on others, fears of rejection, I need your acceptance, I need your approval. If you don't like me, then I don't like me. Have you ever met anybody who struggled with deep sense of rejection or abandonment? Are they fun to have dinner with? You know, I mean, it's rough. But then, if you don't know who you are, then when you meet somebody who's different, and I don't care if it's religion or ethnicity or opinion or political, when you meet someone with a different opinion and you don't know who you are, that person becomes a threat. Well, if they're right, then I'm wrong. I can't be wrong because that makes me less than. They must be wrong. And I don't like that, so strategy number one, whoop, I cut you off. I want nothing to do with you. You're too different. You're a threat to me. I don't like the way that... That doesn't look good on you, and I don't want it on me. Goodbye, psychological murder. And we do it on different levels, and we do it in different ways, and we do it in church. Amen? You can't look at me like you haven't seen this happening. And so... You know, that's what one strategy. You know what the other strategy is? If you don't know who you are, if you're not differentiated, then when somebody is different than you, you either withdraw from them or you attack them. You become a bully. And you try to talk them out of who they are and what they believe and why they believe it. And it, it accelerates and it gets stronger until finally it does lead to hatred and eventually leads to psychological murder as well. When I look at this last year and a half, I have been pushed, I have been tested by people I love, people I've known for years. I don't understand their opinions. But it's not my job ultimately to change their opinion. It's my job to be me and to be secure enough that I can let them be them.
Does that make sense? Now, there are essentials of their faith. There are things that, you know, you need to know where the lines are. But it, when we begin to argue over disputable matters, when we begin to not allow other people to have their own legitimate convictions, beliefs, and opinions, now we're violating who they are called to be, even if we think they're wrong. And that's hard. That is super hard to maintain and to live in that tension. You know I fully disagree with you. But do you really believe that? Have you become convinced through whatever faulty source, in my opinion, if you believe that, you are required to live according to what you believe is right. And that's where we violate a, a lot of things too because we don't let people live in that opinion and sometimes I think it's an indicator that we don't know really quite who we are yet. This is a pretty good word so far. A little, little maybe convicting, I hope. You're all staring at me with these blank faces. So give me a smile right now. Just, okay, good, thank you. I'm trying to help. So here's what's interesting. When you really know who you are, I believe fundamentally you can walk in true biblical humility. When you're truly humble, you can appreciate other people's strengths and you can show forgiveness toward people's weaknesses. If you're really humble, then you're going to see things the way God sees things and you're going to celebrate the gifting and the strength in others and you're not going to become offended or draw away from people because of their own opinions or weaknesses, you'll have compassion walking you through that relationship. Have we ever been in a season where there's an opportunity to grow deeper in these areas than where we are right now? And we're not through it. A lot of these opinions are still ricocheting around the rooms. Bill's right. Buy one offense and get 15 free. Woo! That's God's economy. But we have to learn to do that hard heart work of, of getting into his presence and seeing things from his perspective so then we know how to respond to it. Have you ever heard of somebody who has this quote? It's a great quote. I purpose to be unoffendable. Anyone ever heard that in the church? Yeah, I've had people tell me, you know, oh, I'm unoffendable. Yeah, watch out. I'm serious. Some of the ones that think that they're only talking about at a certain level. I, in our old church, I had a relationship with an elder in that church for many years. And we went out to lunch once. And I'll remember the rest of my life, this guy, we're having a good time. And then he goes, hey, so Charlie, you know, you've been, you've known me for a while. So if you've seen any area in my life that you think I kind of need to grow in, I, I'm more than willing for you to tell me that. And it's like, oh, you know what? Now you're doing great. Really nice Chinese food. Thanks. And uh, he goes, no, Charlie, I'm serious. I want to continue to grow. But I knew this guy. I, I knew his personality a little bit. He said, no, you know, nothing comes to mind. He pressed me three times. Charlie, is there some area? I finally go, well, there's this one area where sometimes the way you interact with people, they may misunderstand and they can take the wrong way, you know, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I, I totally softballed it, right? So, okay, we finish our lunch, everything seems okay. It was three or four weeks later, this guy called me and got together and said, Charlie, I just haven't been able to sleep, and I don't know why you would say such a thing, and it just really offended me, and I don't think it's true, and why would you tell me that? It's like, dude, you d 
dug it out of me. And by the way, I said it in a way that I thought could be helpful to him. But if you get offended easy, that's a pretty good indicator that you're really not walking in your true self. You don't know who you are in Jesus yet. And guys, go deeper into this. You even ask the Holy Spirit. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful guide. I, how well do you react to criticism? Anybody? Do you love it? Jesus is like, hey, what a great rebuke. Thank you so Wow. I don't react well to criticism. And then I get reactive myself. I, I, I did one to uh, Alyssa a while ago. I, I made a comment about the direction of the worship department. And then she goes, well, Charlie, and she started to tell me why she didn't quite agree with what I was saying. And guess what? Oh, I didn't mean it that way, Alyssa. I mean, I meant like this, and you took it the wrong way. And I got, like, really defensive. And so, so she tried, I think, one more time to come at me to just say how it affected her. And I didn't let her get the words out because I had to prove that I wasn't trying to say something wrong or against her. And then, of course, Miko being Miko, he, he normally doesn't do this. He doesn't triangulate. Thank you for that, by the way. He, he, if you have a problem with somebody in this church, I can guarantee you Miko will send you to that person. But in this case, he did say, hey, by the way, when you were talking with Alyssa and, and I saw it, you do know, you didn't even give her a chance to say how it affected her. It's like, I'm a counselor. I'm, I'm self-aware. I have, I have communication skills, you know? I got hurt a little bit, and it's like, dang. You know, so then I went, I apologize, hey, I'm sorry, I got defensive. And by the way, defensiveness, you know, you know the best definition of when you get defensive, what's happening spiritually, emotionally? Defensiveness is uh, Tom will call me out on something and I'll, and I'll go, oh, no, Tom, I don't see it that way. It's not me, it's you. It's just not my problem, it's your problem. That's defensiveness. It's not me, it's you. You immediately go into self-protect, you know, defense mode and you're shifting the problem on the other person. And, and that's kind of what I did with Alyssa because I didn't even want to hear her opinion of where she thought I was coming from. And so if you don't take criticism well, I just ask you, man, go in prayer before the Lord and say, Lord, clearly I don't know who I am as well as I need to in your eyes because I want to grow. I want to be able to receive constructive criticism. You know what? I want to receive a rebuke. I want to receive from a person with a bad motive, with a critical heart and spirit, when they attack me, I want to be able to grow from that. If you have the humility to just take it before the Lord, even a false accusation can help strengthen you. Is that true? Sounds like a pretty high standard, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. You're the only honest one in the house. I love you for it. <laughs> So here's a danger zone, and this is all very interesting, but you do know human beings are incredible, and I forget what the measurement of time is. It might be seven-tenths of a second to form a perception. Something happens, and your brain wants to keep you safe. Your brain wants to keep a handle on the environment around you, your safety, your security. So, bop, 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 bop. it's making all these perceptions. It's forming all these ideas. It's forming all these opinions about who is saying it and why they're saying it. And anybody ever really? And when you allow your perception to then settle into a place of what you think is reality, 
you now have formed an opinion about somebody that can be incredibly off. You may think they said it for some reason, intentionally to wound you, and that might not have even been in the ballpark, but if you don't have the courage, the commitment to go to that individual and say, hey, when you said that thing, I just need to, I have a responsibility to let you know here's where it landed with me. Is that what you meant? And nine times out of 10, it's incredible. People will say, oh, no, no, I, no. I didn't mean it that way at all. I was talking about blah, 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 blah. And you go, anyone ever have your perceptions off? Have you ever checked your perception and found out it was wrong? And what if you let that opinion remain between you and that other person? You're not even living in the truth any longer. You're, now that relationship is under the influence of a lie that the enemy is going to want to exploit into becoming an offense, into becoming betrayal of that friendship, into becoming hatred. That's his motive. Always has been. And guys, we're all vulnerable. We do it every day because we're wired to sum up what's going on, to form even stereotypes, generalizations, to form opinions. It's how we process the world but stereotypes can lead to prejudices and to false beliefs about people. And so we need tremendously to guard our hearts in this kind of area. And uh, ah, there's just so much here. I don't know how deep to go, and I, I want to be wrapping up actually, but years ago I had a mentor if you don't have somebody in the faith who is, has had more years of walking with the Lord or has a level of uh, relationship with the Lord that you respect, if you don't know how to open your life to somebody who can speak into your life, then you're missing out on an essential part of your spiritual and your personal growth. And you have to choose to look for it and choose to submit to it don't you? So how many of you actually have a spiritual mother or father? And if you don't, why aren't you concerned that you don't? And so um, I, I had one when I was a younger man in my 20s, and <clears throat> he was quite a character. He was very theatrical. Uh, his name was John Lancaster. And one of John's favorite quotes, almost every time I got together with him, he was like, oh, I just don't have many opinions anymore. And then he'd spend the next hour sharing his opinion with me. It was like, John, you're, you're really something. Uh, but one day, I, I called him desperate. It's like, John, I really want to disciple people. I really want to help people get closer to Jesus. I you know, is, the, is it navigators? Is there a system? Is there a Bible study? What, what do you do to really help people find who they are in Christ? And, uh, and I, I was serious about it, you know. And then John just takes a breath. Well, Charlie, how did Jesus do it for you? I thought that is such an unsatisfactory answer. <laughs> you know, it really is. But you know what? You're on a discipleship program. Jesus knows you perfectly. He knows your heart. He knows your weaknesses. He knows when it's time to grow. He knows when it's time to rest. If you can learn how to walk with Jesus, he will disciple you into that place of wholeness, into that place of being like him. He'll get into alignment every area that is askew. 
And I still wonder in awe when people get offended about having a, a problem area and their life exposed. Because it's like at the heart of it all, you do know, Frank, you're not Jesus, right? Yeah, okay, I, yeah. So if you know you're not Jesus, then that means there are areas to grow. Why would we be shocked if somebody points them out to us? And if we're really committed to doing it. Now, the problem is Jesus can do it directly, but often Jesus does it through each other. And that's why being part of a community, being in real relationships, having a father figure, a mentor, a Jesus with skin on him, you know, a mother figure, people who are mature, people who are walking in the very passion that you have. If you're about evangelism, man, go after somebody who's got the anointing of evangelism and let them set you on fire, right? But we have to position ourselves for that kind of growth and that kind of vulnerability. And if you, re if you really think I'm trying to sell you on this, um, I have been insecure enough. By the way, pastors, behind the prayer room doors, behind the curtain, many pastors are deeply insecure. It's part of the reason they almost go into ministry. It's like people who get into counseling. It's because they needed so darn much counseling, you know. And I'm, I'm not saying that flippantly, but it's true. I mean, pastors can be insecure because our work isn't tangible. I don't make so many grommets and, and, you know, gears, and I can't count what my production is. Are you closer to Jesus, Joel, or aren't you? You know, I mean, how do you measure that? So it's easy to be insecure, and because of that, for years, the Lord has been so gentle, so kind. He's just almost always given me affirmation, and just keep on going, and oh, I see your progress, and it's like, oh, God, you're so sweet, you're so nice. Two, three years ago, he took the gloves off. He started rebuking me. He started showing me specific, hey, you're out of alignment in this area. It's like, no, I'm not. I mean, when you start trying to argue with the Lord, you know you've got a problem. Yeah. But now, it's so strange when God reveals a, an area of weakness or immaturity in me. I get so excited. God, I can't possibly do anything about that. I can't be healed. I can't interheal myself, but I can trust him. All I have to do is respond. Just consent to what he wants to do, and the God of the impossible will go in and change the impossible areas in our hearts that are resisting him. Do you want that? It's a great way to live, to be able to get a rebuke from the Lord, and he's so good at it that then they brought Miko into my life, and sometimes they get a rebuke from him, and they're not as good but I'm still looking for what God's doing in it because I want to be Charlie. I, what, when I show up to God and he asks me, why weren't you Charlie? It's like, God, I was Charlie in every way I knew how to be. And I want to set others free to be who they are in you as well. Come on. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm going I'm to end with a fun, a fun quick story. Um, this is one of my times of uh, finding out who Charlie was in God's sight, and I'm going to have to make this quick, and some of you have heard this, and it's in the book, but Lori and I had many encounters with God uh, during the Toronto revival. And by the way, I've thought about this a lot this week. You know, I don't want God to do another Toronto. I don't want an Argentine revival. I don't need another Pensacola. God wants to move mightily in our city and in our time and in many people. But 
but re revivals are sovereign. It's when God is just moving so powerfully. Believers, unbelievers, everybody can see what God is doing. It doesn't take a lot of faith when you're in the middle of a revival. But you know what? We can't control when God's going to do that. You know what we have control of? Lord, I want a personal revival. I want to open the doors so I'm experiencing your presence every day. I want my heart to burn on fire. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see people's lives touch. Lord, I'm not waiting for Argentina. I'm not going to go back to Toronto. I want it here and now today. And God can get right inside of that. He loves to move in the hearts of people who burn for him. And so we're responsible for pressing into our own personal revivals. But Toronto was a gift, and it was a renewal of the church. People burnt out pastors, men and women, Heidi Baker. I mean, there were people ready to give up. And they had an encounter with God on those floors in Toronto that refocused their life and their devotion to be fully yielded to Jesus. That's a revival. And so, for me, I was at one of those conferences. I had a wonderful time. I met a, a guy named Robert Laveda, and he was the pastor, senior pastor of a church in Las Vegas called Extreme Church. And Robert was one of those people who really was extreme. Robert would walk up to you and go, Hi, I'm Robert. <laughs> you know, you go, wow, you're a freak. You know, I mean, he was uninhibited. He was affectionate. He was just, you know, different. And, and, but I liked it. I was like, I don't know what's going on with you. Uh, so I, I went up to him the next day after I'd met him, and I said, hey, Robert, you know, uh, my dignity and my reputation hasn't done all that much for me in ministry, so if me being a fool like you is going to do something for the kingdom, I'm willing. Would you pray for me? So he did. The guy prayed for me. And, uh, and then, you know, the next day, uh, when the power of God is moving, I don't know if you've ever seen someone actually slain in the Spirit, and I know there are times where people fake it, but there are other times where the kabod, the heaviness, the presence of God is so thick that you feel it pressing you down. It's almost like pushing you toward your knees. And then um, I'm a weakling when I get in God's presence. You know, some people can stand and be strong and hear what God's doing. I tend to like, and I go out. And so when there are a lot of people in Toronto that day, there were 20 of us or so on the floor, literally just enjoying God's presence, waiting on God. He was moving deeply. And uh, <clears throat> then Robert crawled over to me because he was on the floor like I was. And then he got a really serious look on his face and he goes, Charlie, would you mind if I do something for you? I think the Lord's put on my heart. And I said, sure, Robert. Yeah, whatever. Go ahead. So Robert comes over and puts his head right over my heart here. And he goes, <gasps> he did four lungfuls of breath. I felt literally the heat from his breath building up on my shirt. I am flat on my back. This guy's doing this thing on my chest. I've got pastors walking all around. And guys, I didn't care. It was no big deal. Yeah, do whatever you want on my chest. And then when he was done, he pulled away and he looked at me for a second and he goes, Charlie, I believe that was a heart kiss from the Father. What do you think about that? And I thought for a moment and I said, Robert, I think I'll take it. I want a heart kiss from the Father. And he got all excited and he kind of freaked out. Now, that's an odd story, right? Uh, did I offend anybody? If you're thinking, what, what, Charlie, you're a bit of a weirdo, I don't care. But uh, the next day was our final day. We were getting ready to go home. It was the last session. And, and I, I finally was just like, God, I've loved this. I loved meeting Robert. I loved the teachings and I loved the worship times. But God, I actually came to Toronto because I want you. And that's all that I said. And I'll never forget, I was in the chair like you're in, and then God just 
whispered in my ear that still small voice, and he goes, I love you, son. It was the first time in my life he called me son. And guys, it went somewhere. It had never gone before. It went in so deep that I just, I fell out of my chair, literally, and I just started sobbing. I was like, God, you're just so good to me. I don't understand, God. Why do you love the way you love? And it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's not because I deserve that. He loves that way. And I just laid on the floor and basked, and I love you, Dad. I love you, son. I love you, Dad. I love you, son. That's what it means to be differentiated. That's what it means to find your true self. And the more you live out of that place, the more you celebrate other people's significance and giftings, and the more you're unoffendable about their weaknesses, God take us all into that place. So whoever has faith right now to receive that same kind of encounter, I just ask in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, for you to come again and just let your sons and daughters know of your perfect, permanent, unconditional, intense love that transforms us into sons and daughters who can bring healing into the lives of others. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.